you know that from a medical from a medical standpoint. So we have underloved, undernourished children dodging bullets, going to underfunded schools with overworked teachers. Hey guys, real quick, Dr. Dale here. All right, so I want you guys to do me a favor. Before you start this episode, please hit that pause button and click subscribe or click follow or click like, whatever it is. We work really hard to bring you guys this good information to uplift the entire community. And we really appreciate you guys supporting our efforts and our work. Love you guys. Enjoy the episode. I want them bad like a daddy, yeah. Only do it like flogger, yeah. I'm kicking flavor, no saga, yeah. Ay, I like them blues. I might go Janet like Jackson. I got them options, yeah. It's all about progression. Life is like a blessing. Everything a win, loss is like a lesson. Ooh, ooh. Yeah, ain't no time for stressing. I've been really stepping. Ooh, ooh. Yeah, if you wanna go get it, stop playing around. Really got on racks, ain't playing around. Wanna go get it, stop playing around. Really got on racks, ain't playing around. What is up, family? It's Dr. Dale, the author of How to Raise a Doctor Wisdom from Parents Who Did It, the author of Black Men and White Coats, the author of Pre-Med Mondays, and the author of the Doctor Doc Children series. Oh, and the author of another book that I'm working on right now is going to come out soon called Author and Expert. This is a Black Men and White Coast podcast, the place where black male clinicians and black, whatever, the place where a lot of cool stuff happens. I used to say the place where black male clinicians have the platform to share their story, but we're doing so much more than that now. I can't even say that anymore. And today's guest, man, I'm telling you all, man, I'm super excited about today's guest. Super excited. I'm going to introduce him here in a second. Let me do my announcements, but I haven't been this excited about a guest in a long time. But my announcements. All right, so first thing I got to remind everybody is we are giving away MCAT scholarships. So if you're a pre-med and you are taking the MCAT, now we will reimburse your MCAT. Um, you guys got to apply. We should be getting a lot more applications than we're getting, guys. Um, and man, woman, you know, we should be getting a whole lot more than we're getting. But I do have a winner for this week. I do have another winner for this week. Uh, it's Ms. Elena Lay Phillips and Elena is a pre-med, about to say this MCAT, we're rooting for you and we're gonna pay for your MCAT. And let's put your video right here. Hi everyone, my name is Alana Leigh Phillips and I am a recent graduate from the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor. I received my degree in biopsychology, cognition and neuroscience with a minor in Spanish. During my time at the university, I was a leader within the Black Undergraduate Medical Association where I was vice president of internal affairs. Throughout this position, my ultimate goal was to provide a positive environment for our MASS members through giving them resources such as internships, mentorships, as well as research opportunities. I want to keep the continuation of a connection with our past alumni as well as physicians in Michigan Medicine and physicians across the country. My goal of mine as a future surgeon myself is continue fostering this positive environment for black students to feel that they can be a success as future physicians of America, but also have a connection with my patients as a healthcare provider so that they feel that I am giving them the best and adequate healthcare so that they become healthy and have the best um, pathway that they need for, for medicine. All right, so again, congratulations, Elena. Really, really proud of everything you're doing. I'm proud of you. I'm being a leader and having a vision and dream for the field of medicine. All you need to do is email us at info at blackmenandwhitecoats.org, info at blackmenandwhitecoats.org, and we got your MCAT covered, right? We're, we're excited and we're honored to be able to do that for you. And a special thanks to the Black um, Greek Letter Organization for helping us raise the funds so we can pay for your MCAT. 
again. All right. Uh, what other announcements do I have to make, man? I can't even think straight because I'm so excited about the guests. Whatever announcements I have, forget it. Maybe I'll remember it later. Forget the announcements. Let's get into this, man. So today we have got Eric Hale, man. Eric Hale. Some of you guys are going to recognize the name, you know, off the top because he's been all over the place and, and we'll get into that. Um, I was I was doing my little Googling and seeing them all, so many media outlets. We'll get into that here in a second. But Eric Hale, I was so excited. I was, I'm from Texas, right? So I was, I'm so proud to say he's the Texas Teacher of the Year, right? So I, I get geeked, Texas. He's a Texas Teacher of the Year and not just the Texas Teacher of the Year, he's the first black Texas Teacher of the Year ever, ever. And, and on top of that, it's out of over 360,000 teachers. Over 360,000 teachers. We've got the one right here, a black male, who was the Texas Teacher of the Year. As if that wasn't good enough. As if that wasn't good enough. This dude was the National Urban Teacher of the Year. Not just Texas, but across the whole country. And man, you guys can probably tell me, I feel like I'm really, I'm fanning real big right now. I'm fanning, man, I'm being a little fan right now. But I'm super excited, man. Let's just bring him on, man. Eric, man, welcome to the show. Thank you for thank you for taking the time to chat with us, Black Men and White Coast, man. Thank you, really appreciate you. Oh, man, yeah. the pleasure is all mine. Um, it's an honor. I've heard about your work, and uh, it's very humbling to 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 be a guest on your show. So I look forward to this. Nah, man. So I tell you, uh, we need to do more things like this in general. So you know, the intro. I I told you I'm change. I changed the intro because. You are the first, like, non, I don't know what you call it, non um, healthcare associate or clinical, whatever person on this show ever. Um, and first of all, that's, the, you know, I, I would say that's an honor because you're, so you're the one that's making a step outside of our narrow view and wow. realize, like, we need to bring, we need to bring, um, you know, better brains to the table to help us address this issue. And who else than the teacher of the year? My brother kept on saying, you know, he was like, man, we got to get him on here. We got to get Eric on here. We got to get him on here. I'm like, man, look, dude been all over TV, man. You think you'll come on our podcast? Oh, <laughs> He's like, yeah, I gotta no. get him on. So 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 just so people understand, you know, how big of a deal this is, what can, what what shows have you been featured on? What types of media outlets have you been on? Um, let's see. Well, if we go back to last year, um, God blessed me to win um Dallas ISD's district teacher of the year. And then I I applied for the state, and I and I and 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 what helped me I think when the Dallas ISD Teacher of the Year was uh, they asked me and felt like I had a strong enough resume to be in this like competition where it's the Greater Schools uh, Coalition, and so that is every major urban school district um, in America. And they had this huge conference and each superintendent chooses one person to represent their school district in this national competition. And I won. And so I became uh, the Queen Smith Award winner. I became the National Urban School Teacher of the Year. And that was last school year. Um, after that, that made Kelly Clarkson be interested. Um, before that, made, that, 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 that made who? Kelly Clarkson. So before Kelly, Kelly. Clarkson, it was actually D Magazine did a, a, a big spread on me. And so apparently Kelly Clarkson stay, stays in touch with what's going on in the DFW. So she is uh, I, she's a subscriber for D Magazine. So then she started a segment called Best in Class. And I believe I was her first guest. And so she she was so hyped because I was from the DFW area. And, she, and, and I ended up going to Kelly Clarkson's show. 
after the Kelly Clarkson show, that kind of made things go uh, kind of really, really, really high and just real positive. Um, and then after that, um, I had an opportunity to do a TED Talk. I always wanted to do a TED Talk. I didn't know how it was going to happen, but it happened to be the 10th year anniversary of the TED Talks um, series that they were having in, in Dallas. And um, it was at the, I think it was a downtown, if it's the Granada, uh, the, the big concert hall and being on a concert stage is about like 500, 600 people there. And um, God worked it and, and you what know, was your talk? Uh, being the champion in the classroom. And so, you know, it's on YouTube and, and on TED and God really moved and uh, I got a standing ovation. I was the only person who got a standing ovation, which was cool considering the the heavy hitters over there and people who were on TV and all all sorts of stuff. So then from there, I won the, the district and just kept snowballing. But since I won, since I won the Texas State Teacher of the Year, I was honored on the Today Show. Uh, I was the main story for NBC Nightly News with Lester Holt. I was chosen as an inspiring American. Um, no, no, I was chosen as what America should be thankful for. And so I represented all the teachers um, on a special they had the day before Thanksgiving. Um, there was a huge write-up um, on Washington Post that went viral. So there's people from Africa and Canada and just all over. Um, reached out to me, sent me letters and stuff like that. Uh, the Hill, uh, most inspiring Texan, uh, the Texas. So let's so let's just say let's just say a lot of stuff. So, yeah, a lot of Texas stuff. Hollywood. Oh wow! Oh, you get into celebrity world now? Celebrities, okay. Yeah, and just and just what two Saturdays ago, uh, they did a huge special uh, with Lester Holt and Dateline and their whole crew and Hoda, and it was called the Inspiring American uh, Inaugural List. And so they chose seven stories from across the country that they felt like were inspiring. And I was the last story, I closed out the show. And that was, yeah, yeah. And it's gonna be something that they do every year. So to be in that inaugural class was crazy. That's huge. So. Um... All right, so just to give the listeners a layout of where we'll go, so I'm gonna I'm gonna spend some time asking you questions, to, you know, to kind of um, consult with you to figure out how we can do a better job, maybe getting more of our youth to pursue careers in medicine. But before we even get into that, I want to let's get into your story. So, um, you know, I was looking at um, like one of your Twitter posts about when you got the Texas award, and you got really emotional in the post and something, and something that I I liked you were talking about anybody who's from the tribe. And you said um, the what if tribe. So tell us, what, what do you mean when you say the what if tribe? Who are those people you relate to? And, and you know, what was your what if story as a child? What, what kind of circumstances did you grow up in? And how did you get to where you're at? Okay, um, well, uh, I, I pride myself in trying to be the, the chief of the if tribe. And so those are the children that like, if you had better parents, if you weren't being abused, if you weren't being beat, if you weren't being molested, if your mom wasn't a crackhead, you know, if your dad wasn't a schizophrenic in the situation that I that I was in, um, you could be something. And so I grew up in a neighborhood that uh, wasn't that great. Um, you know, you could say like 
generational uh, poverty, but not just of, you know, material things, but of the heart and of the mind, right? Uh, It's one of those places where it's like, it was a failing school when your grandma was there. People don't go to college. I mean, you're lucky if you're not dead or in jail. You know, that type of situation. Um, I grew up, you know, uh, I had a stepfather that, uh, you know, was, uh, you know, some physical abuse was happening. Uh, He was a schizophrenic. And so, you know, that's before the medication, they figured out the medication good. So now he's old and he has like a patch, like a smoker's patch in it. And it gives him the right meds for like his whole month. And so it keeps his levels right. But when I was a kid growing up, it was like horse tranquilizers. So it it was a situation where when he would take his medicine, he would be zonked out like a zombie for like six days of the week. So then my mom, you know, it's three of us, she's stressed out. She's like, I ain't got no help. And so she just, you know, is on him, right? So it's a constant war. So then she's cussing him out. And so then what eventually, what do you think he does? Well, he says, well, I'm tired of getting talked to like this, so I'm not gonna take my meds. So yeah, oh, you as a young man, you're thinking, oh man, he's doing good, it's been two weeks, he's cured. And then he start hearing their voices. And so, you know, with me being the oldest and not being uh, his son, um, a lot of times his voices would tell him to hit me. You know, it just it just happened that way. How old were you when those when that was happening? Uh, well, he as much as I grew up until I started, you know, getting kicked out the house and stuff. So, uh, so it was a long time. It was a long time period. It was years. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a situation. Okay. Um, so you know, we would have to go to battered women shelters a lot. But not so much from him beating my mom. Like, it was only one time I can remember that happened. And it wasn't in front of me. It was so much mental. He was always scaring her, scaring us up. So we're always, like, on edge. Like, them voices, and he'll just do weird stuff. And so, you know, just going to school with that, and even though, you know, we were kind of all poor, we're in the hood, but it was a situation where it was like, I was known for having, like, the town crazy was my dad. And kind of having having that carrying that that weight with me when I went to school, um, you know, eventually it led to my mom having a nervous breakdown, and then that's when the you know the the crack cocaine uh, addiction hit, and um, yeah, and then I ended up uh, getting blessed to live with my grandmother um, in Portland, Oregon. I was with my grandma from seventh grade to my senior high school. And it was, you know, through the love of my grandma and her sisters, my Aunt Rose especially, that uh, changed my life. So that was your saving grace. Yeah, yeah. And and so my story, I guess you could say, is unique because I don't necessarily have that great warm fuzzy where it was like, these teachers saved me. I had one great teacher my whole life. But outside of him, I teach based off of what I didn't receive during my public school education, the love I didn't receive, the care I didn't receive, um, the humane treating that I didn't receive. And I, I 
internalized how that made me feel growing up in poverty and in trauma while being black in America. And so so that when you were in um, Portland, Oregon, what was your school like? Were there was it um, what was the demographics? Was it majority black, white, or? Well, yeah, I'm from West Phoenix, so that is the hood of Phoenix, Arizona, and yeah. so there it was like forty percent African American, sixty percent Hispanic. But what was funny is when I moved to Portland for a better situation. Like my grandma came, I was the one who made the call about the drugs. She came and we just moved. She took my mom, me, my brother, and my sister. And it was like, okay, I'm gonna help you, you know, break this addiction, get you out of the situation. But what was funny is Portland was worse. So we, I lived in North Portland, North Northeast Portland. And so I'm 40, but at the time that was the hub where all the black people basically in the state of Oregon lived. So in this little 10 mile radius was where all the crime, um, they, my mom went from having to get crack cocaine brought to her or go across, go to another side of town. It was like, she could just walk out of our apartments that we lived and and, and kids oh, wow. my age were selling drugs at the park. So it made it worse. And so then I got kicked out the house and that's how I never went back. So when I, when we left, it was seventh grade. I got, I made it like until like the end of seventh grade. And then after that, I was living with my, with my aunt and my grandma for the rest of the time from like, you know, the end of seventh grade through uh, all the high school. Oh, wow. Wow. So that the one teacher you said that was actually good, was he a, was he black or no? No, no. He was a Caucasian, uh, seventh my seventh grade uh, history teacher so what made him so what made him so good and impactful in your life what made him good and special was that he just he just cared he and so you know I got these little things that I try to live by now um and um one of them is like my brand right so it's the three a's it's it's advocacy it's accountability and it's action and those are all three things that Mr. G showed me, like he advocated for me. He was invested that I didn't fall through the cracks. He held himself accountable to give a damn, whether it was giving me soap, whether it was giving me food, uh, but most importantly, it was giving me love, giving me a roadmap of success and what I could be and telling me that I was born great. And that's something that I carry with me and how I teach. Like, it wasn't like, oh, if you do this, you'll get great. He was like, nah, when, was, when has somebody ever told you that you were born great and that the potential is inside of you? See, it's different when you're speaking greatness over the lives of your students and you believe it versus saying, well, if you just keep working hard, maybe you'll end up being okay. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a now, different mindset. Did he do that for every student or did he, was there something he, he clicked with you on or did he have the energy to do that for every student? And I would also ask you as a teacher, how did, how do you have the energy to do that for every single student? Cause I know that's a heavy investment. So, you know, I teach like um, med students and such, right? And it's a hefty investment. It takes a lot of energy and it can be draining, right? To give your all to everybody. So did he do that for you? And how do you do that for your students? It's funny. It's funny you say that. Um, 
when you become an educator versus being just a teacher, it's 360 degrees of education, right? It's not only what's in the book, but it's what's in the heart and it's what's in the mind of the children that you are serving. He might not know that his kindness had an impact that it has had on my life. The most important thing was that I felt his impact. I don't know if he connected with me more than other kids, but he made me feel like he did. There there could be 50 other me's in this world winning awards, talking about this man. But because of him, even if it was just me, look at all the children and the people that I've been able to bless. So I'm a, I will always be a part of his educational tree. And so the way that he made me feel and the confidence that he instilled in me, I try to give that to all my kids. And I view my career more so as my ministry, more so Mm -hmm. as my protest to the systemic racism that faces people of color in every field. And so I don't allow myself to get discouraged. I give my kids everything that I have because I know that they need it. And when it's time for me to retire, the Lord will tell me it's time for for me to retire. But I teach from the heart to the mind connection and that's the only way I know how to teach. I treat the children that I serve no different than my five-year-old daughter. I try my best to. To, to not and that's the only way I know how to do it love it man I love it love it love it so let me let me let me start picking your brains man so you know black men and white coats um it's for everybody but specifically we have this emphasis on trying to get more black men into the field of medicine because the numbers were, were going down and you know for a variety of reasons that we talk about in, in our film and other things but you know the question always comes and I, and I mentioned I was just on a call with them I was doing a Q&A for our documentary with Kaiser Permanente just now. And they were asking me like, hey, Dr. Dale, you know, these kids in school, elementary school, how do we get them on a better track for success from a young age? And I give my best answer, but hey, you're teacher of the year, so I need I need some advice from you. From what, what can we do better for our young, let's not even boys, but for our, our youth, right? Who might be in marginalized backgrounds, what can we do better to move them towards careers specifically in the field of medicine? Um, to let them know, hey, medicine's a cool career. You can be a doctor. What things need to be happening there? Because oftentimes we say, oh, they need better education. They need better, um, you know, um, um, primary school education. But I'm not, I'm not dumb. I know the teachers are doing well. Not all of them, but I, I believe that a lot of the teachers are doing their best. Right? You're giving them what they've got because it's not easy. 
So what more can be done to reach these kids at an earlier age and help give them the resources? Well, uh, there's been uh, studies uh, that have recently came out, like the opportunity myth for that study. And what they found was um, teachers of color, particularly men, uh, have been the best teachers in America. And that the children that have Mr. Hell just one time in their life are like 30%, they have a, a 30% uh, more likely to graduate from college. Hmm. And every other child has a 15 to 30% increase in their likelihood of going to college. And so that's kind of like been something that's shocked the world in, in, in the education field within the last five years. Um, there needs to be more of me. There needs to be more representation of people that are cut from the same cloth that can relate to them, that are going to build a bridge that is going to shine a light to get them over the hump, give them a roadmap of how they can be successful and how they can navigate the system. So advocating and, and realizing that children who come from certain backgrounds, they have got to see positive men that look like them as early as possible. It's too late in middle school. It's too late in high school. A lot of wow, them so even there. so even even middle school is too late to get that teacher because you had Mr. Um, G in seventh grade, so even I that had, was kind of late. Yeah, and that was kind of late. But the reason why I say that is that I also didn't have the access to anything negative that the world has to offer in seventh grade. We I didn't have a cell phone. Yeah, I didn't get a beeper until I was like a freshman, and even then. Access. Man, beepers. What? Beepers? Yeah, so yeah, old school. Yeah. Old school. Yeah, and even even then, pagers. Yeah, exactly. Even then, we didn't have access the way these kids have now. So these kids are being bombarded with negativity from literally two years old, from being a toddler. So everything is working against them faster than it was for me. And so they need to see exposure. They need to see, especially when they start to, you know, you start to get in high school and stuff, they need to see you and men like you, men of color, come bombard their high school. Come, come, come walk around the campus and make your presence uh, felt once a month. Then they'll see like, oh man, there are, black male doctors. There are Hispanic male doctors. Because I'll be honest with you, growing up in my neighborhood, I'm in my generation, I'm literally the only person that made it out in, in a way that you would say is above being just a society. Because I want my kids to thrive. I don't want them to just survive. So I'm not just talking about, oh, I work at a call center. And I, I, I've never been in prison. Because we both know not having, you know, resources to do anything and to, to see anything outside of your neighborhood, to go on a, on a vacation or anything like that. People in my neighborhood 
they don't know nothing about that. There was nobody when I was growing up that was a professional. I knew no black lawyers, doctors. I didn't have any black teachers. When's the, when's, when's the first time you saw a black male doctor? Probably college. And, and he wasn't even my doctor, it was just like I went and I was getting like a physical and I saw a black man that was a doctor walk, you know, and they called him Dr. Such and Such, you know. <laughs> I got you. You just randomly saw him like in the hallway. Yeah, I just randomly, I just randomly saw him. So let me ask you, so you said that, um, you know, they need to see more, well, two questions here. You said that they need to see more people that look like you from an early age. Um, so first question is, if, what percentage of teachers are black men? Oh, so. It's, it's, yeah, that, that's something that's uh, sad. And, and I'm trying to be in the forefront of, of doing a national search and a national campaign to recruit, uh, retrain, and retain uh, men of color. But they always you always hear people say the 2%. There's only 2% black men. That's actually a huge lie. When you take out men that teach like when you take out like people who are specials teachers, that's your theater, your your art, your physical education, your, your PE teachers, and your coaches. It's half a percent. Oh, so, like I'm sorry, I I'm, sorry. I'm sorry. I, I I lost you for a second. You said it's what when when you take out all those, it's, it's what percent? How much? About half a percentage point. Oh wow. Goodness gracious. Yeah, because when you when you take out like somebody who's like, oh, you know, I'm a music teacher, but I'm really I'm really in this because you know I'm the varsity football coach, right? So when you when you when you take out people who do uh music, art, theater, band, physical education, and you take out the coaches, that pretty much wipes out all of that two percent. So That's it's about the medicine. Yeah, it's about it's like 0.5 of black men that teach content. So, and then you said they need to see men like you earlier. What does seeing, what is, what is, um, you know, my my second son is first grade. So what is my first grader seeing, seeing you? What does that do for him that helps him do better? What's actually happening in his mind or his development that's gonna help him do better by seeing you as his teacher? Well, I'm the bridge from, uh, fantasy to reality it's like you can there's a whole lot um i'm a basketball fan and there was this one thing i saw on youtube where it was like the high school usa american whatever kids right like the best basketball players and they got to see like team usa so it's like when steph curry was like young and uh I mean, then you see like Jason Tatum's watching him, right? And now Jason Tatum's a huge star for the Boston Celtics. And you can see interviews of him talking about what it meant to see people who had achieved what they wanted to be. There's a whole lot of kids that say, oh, I would love to be a teacher. I would love to be a police officer. But what gets lost is as they get older, it, be it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy because it's like, well, I've never seen anybody that looks like me actually be a police officer. I've never seen a black guy teach. So subconsciously, kids are like, oh, that's not for me. That's not what black boys 
grow up to be. All the while the machine in the media is, is telling them, no, this is what black men do. They're bad fathers. They're criminals, they're thugs. They commit crimes. So then when they turn the TV off, well, they're listening to their radio, listen to their Spotify. And what is and what is the music yeah, look like? And those are people that do look like them, that are telling their life stories and telling them what to be. So they're being bombarded with negative uh, male stereotypes from jump. Yeah. So, so what is different? First of all, I love that. I love that you're, you're the you're the bridge from the fantasy to reality. I love that, and that definitely makes a lot of sense there. Um, it's sad that there's so few though. There's so, so few um, teachers in there. What is different? So you hear about this thing like third, fourth grade. Um, a lot of black boys start to like school less and less. Um, what's happening there? Like, what's happening in third, fourth grade that's making black boys? aspirations and dreams start to fall back fall away like wh- why are they different than the the white boy or the white girl or even the black girl what's going on specifically with like black boys and that that what's that eight nine ten year old phase in education is that, i mean is that even a real thing or is that just things that something that people no, that's, say that that's a real thing because so it's like when you hear people talk about like sympathy, right? And I hate it, right? So when you grow up a young black boy in America, maybe in the inner city or, you know, living a traumatic lifestyle or anybody, you know, uh, you could be poor and white, same type of situation. Mm-hmm. Um, the teachers, a lot of them, they have sympathy for you, right? And then that sympathy turns into you know, empathy. And then somewhere along the line, it turns into apathy. Mm-hmm. And so the one intelligence that people who are coming out the hood have higher than any other type of child is emotional intelligence. Yeah, yeah. Because they're constantly in survival mode. So they can read if you truly care about them in one meeting. That's deep. Also, the teachers themselves, once again, um, every system in America was built off the backs of slavery. Mm-hmm. And so since the inception of these systems, whether it be the medical field or education or any profession in America, we have to remember that they didn't have us in mind when they created any of these institutions. And so what happens is that little black boys and little black girls, they go from, from a traumatic experience at home, and then they go to school where they get no relief. It's just another traumatic experience. So why do you say that? What's traumatic about that experience when it gets to school? Is it the apathy and lack of, you know, lack of the teacher caring about them? Yes. It's, it's, it's... When you are living a zombie lifestyle where you mentally 
have to be on guard and so sharp 24 seven because you're living in life or death situations. You can sense the hopelessness around you. And then to go to school and see a teacher who does not look like you, who wears your situation like a coat, you feel that. You know that those teachers aren't going above and beyond for you. It, it's a feel, it's a taste, it's, it's, it's an energy. There and is so no what expectations. So, oh yeah, we need, we need to get into that too, actually. But so, so what does that do? Well, so, so let's get into that right now then. So one of the things, so, you know, one of the books I wrote was How to Raise a Doctor, right? And one of the things I talk about, and I just actually talked about this with um, Kaiser Permanente just now, was the fact that parents need to set extremely high expectations for the kids. And in the film, we talk about the soft bigotry of low expectations. How does that play into the school system? That's that soft bigotry of the low expectations. Um, when the teachers, you already mentioned, the teachers have apathy for these kids, and you're saying that the kids can sense it. So. How does that play out in the kid's life, you know, five, 10 years down the line? The fact that, you know, a lot of these kids have just been, just getting passed every year, like passed, just gonna pass you along, just gonna pass you along. And the expectations are so low for them that maybe by the time that they figure out, hey, you know what, this medicine thing might be cool or this teaching thing might be cool or this whatever professional field they wanna go into might be cool. They're not prepared now. So how does all that play out, that expectation portion of it? Well, I truly believe in the power of expectations. I believe that you should speak what you seek until you see what you say. And- Oh, run that back, run that back. Let me see, let me, let me stay with that. Say it again. You need to speak what you seek until you see what you say. I got you, okay. Speak what you seek until you see what you say. All right, all right, okay. And it sticks with you because Nobody's telling you that you can beat the odds. Nobody's telling you what you can be, or more, more, more importantly, what you deserve to be. And so if you have teachers that believe that you're going to end up in jail, that believe you're most likely going to be a criminal, that believe at best maybe you'll be um, a city worker or, or the garbage man and nobody in your family has shown you anything other you start to believe that's what people like us do it's an unspoken thing and these teachers they go and, and go live on you know not in the community, in, in their nice, safe community. And they don't think any more about the children. They go, they do their job, they don't do anything extra, they don't make any connections, and then they retire. Is that how you, is that how you feel most of it? You know, I'm, I'm not, I don't know what it's like because I'm not in that system, right? But is that how you feel most teachers, you know, who are teaching in underserved areas really are? You don't have to take my word for it. Look at the data. You can go to any urban area 
in any state in America. And 90% of the schools that are failing have had a history of failing kids of color. We're talking about generational poverty of the mind, of the body, of the soul in all of America. You don't, you don't have to, I don't have to give you a straight answer on that. Just look at the data. Look at who's failing in America. Look at the demographics. It's not hard to find. You can do one Google search. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I, it, it hurts to think that these kids are, and I, you know, you hear all the time, the kids aren't getting the best education, but just under, having a, a somewhat of an idea as to how hard teachers must be working, right? It hurts to think that the teachers in these areas aren't giving it their all, you know, aren't trying to do their best for these kids. And you know, it, it, it's, it's, bothersome, it's bothersome to hear that, right? You know, because in my mind, I want to believe maybe naively, but I want to believe, hey, the teachers are trying, right? Maybe the teachers need more support or maybe the teachers um, don't know how to deal with certain situations. I don't know. But it hurts to think that some of the teachers are really that, um, you know, apathetic towards all this. Well, here's, here's, um, we have devalued education in America so much over the years. And you, and you show that by how you treat us. You show that, most importantly, by how you pay us. That eventually, you get what you pay for. Yeah. And so, people want to think that teachers, you know, make this pow, uh, vow of uh, poverty and that we're almost saint-like or nun-like in our actions. And you know what, if they go into teaching, they know they're not gonna make no money. They must, they just doing it because they just love the kids. Those teachers are dead and retired. This new crop of teachers, a lot of them, it's just a job. Do they know so their what, job? What, what, what happened? What made that change? The, the treatment of teachers in America over the past 25 years. What? What was it? Two years ago, where like how many states were were on strike? How many teachers were striking? Arizona, Oklahoma. Uh, it was all over the news. Yeah. And then you saw the figures that they were striking for. I mean, y'all went on strike, so your salary can be forty-seven thousand dollars. The hours that the average teacher puts in is high, if they're just average. The teachers that really make those connections, the ones who are getting those phone calls late at night, hey, we just got kicked out of our apartment. I'm getting paid in three days. Can you help me uh, put my family up in a motel? You know, those type of teachers, the ones that are buying groceries and don't worry about it. I got their school supplies this year. The ones who are, who are, who are focused on making impact and getting the scores for the kids to be successful um, in life. You got to be paying way more than what 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 you know what we're getting paid paid for, and so what what, what happened was you 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 get a, a a lot of teachers 
these young ones, they come into it and they know their expectation of what it's going to be like to be a teacher is already low. And they clock in and clock out. I'm surely not every doctor that you know is as good as you. There's probably some doctors that you know that if your friend was like, yeah, I'm about to go into surgery and, and you said, oh, who's your doctor? And they and you, they said, oh, Mr. Such and Such. You'd be like, nah, reschedule that. Yep. It's no different in education. No different. To be honest with you, the majority of teachers are proficient. It, very little great. Yeah, well, it's a wake-up call, wake-up call. And these are things that you hear all the time, right? But as somebody, again, as somebody who's not in the field, it's almost like, I, I don't I don't want to believe it. You hear it, but I don't want to believe it. And my brother was talking to me about lean on me. What? So what are your, what are your thoughts on lean on me? That whole, um, you know, the 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 whole approach, and I know it's a real story based on a true story. I don't know how, how actual it is, but the whole approach of somebody coming in and having that type of impact to be able to clean up and make change and and not just the kids lives but in the whole culture of a school are those things realistic or you know is there a hope for education like can can an eric hill come through a disd and boom somehow change the culture and get everybody excited about what they're doing again with teaching and and help us get not just more black men and white coats but all sorts of professions you know yeah yeah throughout history we've seen men and women do just some amazing things. Um, it's a lonely road, or it can be a lonely road, but I definitely believe in the power that one person can have to you know, make lifelong impact. So I definitely believe that that's something uh, that can happen. And there are some educators across the country that are doing that. And it's interesting what you said. I've got my master's in administration, but I haven't taken the test. And I've been, they've been trying to get me out the classroom for about four years, right? To take over a school. But I've never wanted to do that because of the system and the politics. And so there's nothing about being a principal that is appealing to me. But what is appealing to me is changing lives and being a community leader. So if you let me come in and do what I need to do to make impact in the community, I would do that. And so I'm going to go ahead and um, get my certifications upcoming year to see if I can make some major impact and be the face of a school and be an impactful leader. But when I think about, um, I don't think about being the head of a school in a traditional sense because I know the situations that the kids that look, that look like me and you are coming from. So they need more. So I need to be prepared to give them more and think outside the box and, and really uh, lead with the learning, but also uh, keeping a uh, liberation in my pocket because that's something that just has to be done. Um, the traditional uh, school setting is not working for kids of color the way the system is currently set up so who's the most powerful person in the school system is it the superintendent or i guess the chair of the board or something 
I guess the question the question the most the most impactful person is the person that's in front of them kids every day. The most powerful powerful person in the school district would be the superintendent and the school board. Okay, and how much power did it really have? Like, how much power does the superintendent really have to? I guess what I'm, what I'm trying to get at is, would you want to go for one of those positions? Like, would you want to ultimately become like a superintendent, you know, and try to shape shape the culture that way? I, as of right now, I don't think that's part of my calling because of the politics that you have to play when you get to that level. Yeah, and I. I'm real big on being true to myself and and in the treatment of other people. Mm-hmm. And I just want to be upright in how I deal with people and I don't I don't necessarily know if I have the stomach for the political nature of being a superintendent. I got you. I got you. So um let's shift back to science, right? Cuz I I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I'm concerned with, with getting more people into the field of medicine. So what is the science interest level like for, you know, these elementary school kids in inner cities? Like what's lacking? What, what do you think is lacking to push more of these kids towards the field of medicine? Nothing. They got the smarts. They got everything that they need. They just need the exposure. They need to see somebody like you walk into their classroom and be like, so who's going to be a doctor? I did it. Raise your hand. This is this is what you need to do. I'd start reading this right now. I start doing this and and getting them uh, the resources and most importantly, the self-esteem to think that they can do it. Just seeing you will raise the stock of those kids because they'll get excited about it. But once again, you'll become that bridge that they can see like, oh, I can become that. Because yeah. most likely you might be the only professional that they've ever seen. So somebody like me comes in, talks to the kid, that that hopefully will inspire them, right? Um, but then they have to go home and they have whatever struggles that they might have at home. And then I'm gone. Maybe I come back once a quarter something like that, but I'm gone most of the time. They have to deal with the teacher who's, you know, who has may or may not be as vested into into these kids. So so I'm gone. They have to consist, you know, face your daily lives on a daily basis. How are they getting past that, right? Because I mean, to get to, to get to be a doctor, you know, there's a lot of stuff you got to do, right? Um, and you have to be prepared before you hit college because my brother and I, we do a lot of work and we do a lot of work with um, um, with pre-meds who are in college, but then we also do a lot of stuff with pre-meds who might have got off to a bad start and now they're trying to they're trying to make up for things after college, right? Post-bac students and such. Um, just because they didn't know. Some of them came from these inner city schools and they weren't prepared to start college. So what things can be done to make sure they're prepared to start college? And, and I ask this question because something that always comes up to people like, hey, Dr. Dale, you know, that's, that's all fine and good, but at the end of the day, these schools need resources, right? They need books, they need, you know, blah, 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 blah. They need all these things. Like, how do we how do we get them to become doctors if when they hate college, you're not even prepared for college? And I'm not sure that's true for the majority of kids. I don't know, some of it's true, um, 
but how do you how, how do you get past that challenge, right? Because they can see me all day, every day. But at the end of the day, if they don't have the the teaching they need to compete once they hit freshman year, that's 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 a barrier still. And that's why the most important profession in the world are educators. Because I can't, they can't get to you prepared if they don't have more teachers like me. And so getting better teachers at the elementary level, getting these kids a roadmap, right? Like a teacher is basically the lighthouse of the ghetto. They're shining a light for a better future for kids that are coming from murky, dark situations. We have too many communities where there's no light coming from the lighthouse. And so it's very hard to be successful, right? Without, you know, a lot of folks praying for you. And so that's why I'm fighting so hard to try to increase the quality of education that kids around America are receiving currently. Because if we don't fix that, if we don't get some, some teachers that are willing to engage these children, to meet them where they're at, to hold their hand and, and take them to the next level, so they have a fighting chance when they get to you. Nothing's gonna change. Nothing's gonna change. Actually, it might change, it might get worse actually. Um, all right. Let me see, I wrote, I wrote down a couple of the questions I have for you. Um, I think I got through got through quite a, quite a bit of them. So from your standpoint, if other than getting better quality teachers, if there was that one thing you could, you know, snap your fingers and do to to try to get more of our youth to go into professional fields, what would that one thing be? So you said they need to see us, they need better teachers, but like, like, what else? What other thing would you say? Boom! If if the, if our if my kids had this today, they'd be all right. I mean, is it, it, it something like food in the homes, or you know, is it something um, like a better buildings, right, or better books, or? Like if um you know what's his name um um Bloomington you know he um he paid for all these like a hundred million dollars right so if he if, if he came up to you and said Eric what do you need I got you you know what would that be wrap around services uh there's such a need for more mental health awareness in the communities, right? There's a need for understanding nutrition. We don't have any clue about nutrition in our community. Your brain can function correctly if it's not getting enough enough oxygen, or if you got too much sugar, or, or, or too much anything. You know that from a medical from a medical standpoint. So we have underloved, undernourished children dodging bullets, going to underfunded schools 
with overworked teachers. So when you look at that dynamic, we need better food in the school. We need wraparound services to maybe help the mother, you know, do a job application. So reimagining the role a school plays in a community. It needs to be more of a, a community space. Every inner city school should have a laundromat. It's donations. Hey, if you got, you know, you need to do five loads of clothes, you can drop $5 in there. Maybe you can only drop five quarters in there, right? But but the kids can come to school with clean, clean clothes. We have a computer lab for the parents where they can come and 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 find jobs and do what they need to do children need resources actionable resources where it's it's like come to the school i'll help you we got somebody that's going to help you do your resume because then now you can get a better job which means that the quality of food that you can buy or afford to buy for your kid your their child gets better mm-hmm. right they have more self-esteem because they can look up to their mom or dad and be like they're a productive citizen in 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 america right so they come to school clean healthy loved inspired inspired by their parents and they they do better because they do better and their attitude's better it makes it easier for the teachers who maybe can't connect. It just makes their job easier. They then perceive the child as trying harder when really the child is just in a better all around mental, emotional, spiritual state to perform. Exactly. And because the child, they perceive it as the child's trying harder. What, that's human nature, right? So what are they gonna do? They're gonna try harder. And it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Now you got both of these entities that see each other eight to nine hours a day or running to each other, right? And so if I think I can do it and I wanna do it and you now think I can do it and you're gonna work harder to make sure that I do it. And then guess what's gonna happen? I'm gonna do it and everybody's happy, right? Yeah, you're gonna do it. The teacher successful. The child feels successful. Exactly. So you do it, then the teacher gets excited that you did it, and now the teacher wants to help the next kid do it too, because the teacher knows yep. what it feels like. That's huge, man. Oh man, hey, I mean, I don't, man. Just thinking about how something that really materializes and really happens. Um, these things are challenging. It's it's, it's a challenging thing, and oftentimes, you know, the rooms that I sit in, they're like, oh, the kids. You know, to get into med school, you got to take the MCAT, right? So, like, oh, the kid's MCAT score isn't high enough, or the kid didn't get a high enough GPA, so we shouldn't accept them. I'm like, there's so much more to that, to that story. Than, there's so much more to that kid's GPA than them not being smart or whatever, right? And that's what we talk about. It should be about the distance traveling. How far did that kid come to get to where he or she is at now? Don't just look at the end result and say, oh, well, the GPA is lower, the MCAT score is lower. That's not the measure of merit. Right, that's not the true measure of merit that we need to be looking at in these situations, man. I was a oh. C student. I was a C student in high school 
not because I had lack of intellect, because I had lack of stability. I was barely eating. I didn't know, like, children, there's children who have a lot going on, a lot going on, raising their younger brothers and sisters, working 40 hours a week, real life situations. And so I say all that to say that once I went to college and there was no negativity around me, I went from a C student to like a strong B plus student and I kicked it. If I had the discipline that I have now, I could easily been a straight A student because we're so used to like walking on a tightrope that once I got into a stable situation, a dorm, and I had a food car where I knew I could get meals whenever I want and whatever I want to, it's like somebody saying, hey, get off the tightrope, walk on this this huge sidewalk and just walk straight. (laughs) Well, that kid's gonna be the best walker out of all the kids. Because he's been he's been balancing himself walking on a tightrope his whole life. Once once I got out out of the neighborhood and I got to college, college was easy. Getting my master's, my GPA was real high, like a three nine. I graduated three nine, and I'm not a great writer at all. But it takes that there's a there's a certain level of adjustment that there has to be though, right? Yeah. So. So you got to get understand the environment and a lot of you probably have to get rid of a lot of the stereotypes you come into college with, right? Because you're so used to just seeing the world one way and think like, like you said, like, man, you mean I can just go get this food and yeah, that's it, you know? And, and um, you, you know, especially especially if you go if you come from like a, a black neighborhood and go to a predominantly white institution, getting over all that stuff, that adjustment. But I think once people get over the adjustment, man, they can fly, they can fly through it. Um, so, so you know, we're gonna bring this to a close. I've kept you on here for probably longer than, than we planned, but I really appreciate you, you know, sticking around longer. Um, two questions. First question I'll say is, if you were not an educator, what would you be? A weatherman, or I would try to be a sports agent. Where do those come from? Where do those things, those things you liked when you were a kid or just something Uh, that you always fascinated with it? I'm fascinated with being a weatherman because I think of it as like, you're a celebrity, but you're not so much a celebrity that somebody will try to rob you. (laughs) But you're a big enough celebrity that I'm assuming a lot of places you go, like your food is free. It's like you get all the perks of, of being like a local celebrity kind of yeah, thing people people love you because you tell them you, you tell them what the weather is ahead of time and, and, and you get to dress, a cup of dress coffee, sharp. That weather tomorrow. Yeah, yeah and you get to dress nice like who i mean my job is to look nice on tv and smile and tell you to tell you the weather be sharp 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 as a tack shoot yeah, that's what I, I tell you though man i'm a hoodie guy i see you rocking a hoodie too i'd rather wear a hoodie then maybe a weatherman on a hoodie i'll be good with that <laughs> um and my last question so um to the parents what piece of advice would you give any parent listening to this that has kids in elementary school um, to help your child perform at a higher level? What is that one piece of advice?
to know that this one person in front of them's opinion about them has no bearing on what they have the opportunity to become. And to listen to their teacher, respect their teacher, but never be scared to question their teacher. The answer is truly in the question. And so when they learn how to advocate for themselves and question the people that are supposed to be giving them this knowledge, they're gonna internalize the knowledge that they do get at a much higher level. It's good to learn as early as possible to ask questions and to understand that your voice has power and you have the right to speak up for yourself, for your community, and for others. So yeah. And you're making me think about some other stuff we could have got into, man. I, w- I won't go into it there, but um, we didn't make, we didn't even really touch on the discipline of the of the of the black male in the classroom. But that's something for another. I might have to bring you back for another day, man. I really enjoyed this. I might have to bring you back and pick your brain more because I, I, you know, I, I I think more of this needs to happen, right? So you've got a problem on the back side of the pipeline. That's us trying to get more black men to become doctors. If you're on the front line of the pipeline, it needs to be more of us sitting at the table together trying to figure yeah. out you know, how to do these things together. Um, and, you know, poor you, that means you'd have to do with every field, <laughs> law, medicine, whatever, every field out there. But it, I think it needs to happen, man. With with your platform, I would love to say, um, we have started an affinity group. This was the most diverse year that uh, the nation has ever seen in regards to men of color winning their state's uh, teacher of the year. And so there's like eight of us and we're from all over so i would love to come back on a podcast where you can ask some of these other dynamic um leaders across the country uh so alejandro was a finalist he should have won but you know didn't happen uh he's from dc my man anthony's from virginia uh our hispanic brother uh is is from denver uh new jersey um uh, Mr. Johnson, uh, Illinois State Teacher so, of the Year. Alabama this year, State Teacher of the Year, uh, is is a, is a male of color. And you get with some of your partners in your field and us just to have like a round table discussion and just really see how that, how we're connected. Our two professions are connected. Man, let's do it. Let's do it. If you can, I'll re- I, you know, if, if you can kind of, bring those guys together i can bring some folks together let's do it man you just tell me when you when you can do it um like i said we're the first this is the first time ever that uh we charge them up and they're like they've never had a class like us that didn't have to be uh uh woke uh because we were never asleep and so that's dealing into politics i mean each state is a trip and what goes on in regards to how they view uh, men men of color in education who have a voice and a, and a, and a, and a platform. Um, you probably saw one, um, uh, DC, he went viral. He was on, um, I think he was on uh, Ellen. He's the first uh, 
PE coach. Um, he's, he's the one they did a big thing on him. Uh, he used to be in a gang. And so just his life story, how he went from being a gang banger to being Missouri State Teacher of the Year. So there's, there's okay. him. And let's, he, let's, you, let's, you can look him up and he'll pop right up. Anthony was on Lester Holt. Like these, these are, are people that have been going insane um, in my field. Like they're like the best of the best on the forefront of diversity, equity, and inclusion of movement that's going on. On the forefront of trying to recruit more men of color. On the forefront of getting kids to think that they can go to school and be doctors be people like you. And so I think it could be very powerful. Let's do it. So, I mean, what we, I can imagine having a panel with like, you know, maybe eight of y'all, eight of us or something like that, right? Yeah. And then we'll do a big webinar type of panel deal and just take questions from the audience. And yeah, you know, we've got a, we've, we've got a pretty large email list so we can send a blast out and get a lot of people on there um, to watch and ask questions and maybe get some, for our standpoint, maybe get some even medical school leadership so they can hear you guys' perspective and you guys can give them ideas as to how we can be- do a better job, right? Definitely, definitely. I'm gonna uh, reach out to the feathers and let them know. And I know that they would w- want to do it. I know that they'd want to do it. All right, let's do it. So f- to the to the podcast listeners, man, you guys heard it, man. So pay attention to emails. We're gonna do this. We're gonna make this happen. Hey, teacher of the year, year teacher of the decade, teacher of the century, <laughs> Eric Hellman, I appreciate you. Really appreciate you being on um, tonight. This is, you know, probably been one of the episodes that I've learned the most from um, and reframe my thought. I, I did come here with some certain preconceived notions about what the process was, which you've debunked. So it was very good for me to hear that. And it's good for me to hear that because I'm an ambassador in my field, right? So I'm going around talking to everybody in my field and they, they trust what I have to say. So it's good for me to, to have a, a more clarity to the topic. So I'm saying something that probably now I know to say certain things that will probably better reflect what it may be like because then I can just quote you and say, hey, this is what Eric Eric Hale said, right? As opposed to me saying what I think is actually happening. So I really appreciate that, man. Um, to the listeners out there, thank y'all so much for rocking with Black Men and White Coast. It means a lot to us if you take the time to listen to our episodes, our podcast. I know this one was special. Um, check us out, blackmenandwhitecoats.org for, for any pre-med, the ones your MCAT paid for, blackmenandwhitecoats.org backslash MCAT. Anybody that wants to join the email list to stay up to date, that's blackmenandwhitecoats.org backslash email. If you haven't seen a documentary yet, check it out, bmwcmovie.com. For the pre-meds who want to be part of our uh, mastermind, the coaching group, that's premedmondays.com. If you want the Black Men and White Coast swag, like my hoodie that I'm rocking yeah. right now, it's uh, bmwc.store. Man, appreciate you guys. Eric Hale, thank you again so much, my friend. Really appreciate you. And we're gonna do that. We're gonna we're gonna connect. We're gonna do the the teacher doctor panel. Let's do it. Let's make that happen for real. Um, everybody, love you guys, man. See you guys next time. All right, man. Thank you so much for having me on, man. It was a blessing, bro. Oh, oh, sorry. One last thing. Any social media, anything you want to put out there for people where people can find you? Twitter, Instagram, whatever. Where, where, where can people follow you at? Facebook. It's Eric June Hale. Um, on Twitter. It's Eric Hale, 1979. Excellent. All right, y'all go hit that follow button, right? All right, love you guys. See you guys next time. Peace, bro. Ooh. I want them bad like a daddy, yeah. Only do it like flogger, yeah. I'm kicking flavor, no saga, yeah. Hey, I like them blues. I might go Janet like Jackson. I got the mob.
Yeah. It's all about progression. Life is like a blessing. Everything a win, loss is like a lesson. Ooh, ooh. Yeah. Ain't no time for stressing. I've been really stepping.